Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. My name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm the pastor here at Covenant Church and one of the elders that has the great privilege of uh, serving the body as we go about our mission. And uh, right now, we are in our Christmas at Covenant series. And so for the month of December, we're kind of working through the various angles that exist in looking at Christmas. And uh, today, we're going to look at a passage that was written about 700 years before Jesus came onto the scene. And uh, I want to give you a brief warning uh, that we are going to be talking a lot about death today. And so uh, the recognition is there are some people in the room, there are some people online that maybe you've dealt with death uh, a little too recently, and maybe it's something that's fresh in your heart or your mind, and it's not something you're quite ready to dig back into, or it's, you know, a trigger warning. And so if that's, a, if that's you, it, there's no shame in bowing out and going, I don't know that I'm ready to hear a whole sermon about death because it's just too recent for me. And so this is your opportunity invitation that you can kind of uh, tune out and uh, sit out, and there's no shame in that. But I wanted to make sure I said that now so I didn't surprise you in a minute when we get into it. Because Christmas, obviously, we're going to be talking about, I don't know. So what we're going to do this week in Isaiah chapter 9 is we're going to learn first how to deal with the darkness, and then we're going to move next week into how to open a gift. And I think Isaiah 9 will show us both of those things, but today it's about darkness. And we're going to start with a phrase, we're going to end with the same phrase, and it's the one I hope that gets kind of imprinted upon us, is that in a world of shadows and darkness, Jesus, the light of the world, reminds us that we have nothing to fear. In a world of shadow and darkness, that Jesus, the light of the world, reminds us we have nothing to fear. Did you notice this year that Christmas lights kind of went up early? Not like a week early, but October early. Uh, driving around my neighborhood in late October, it wasn't even Halloween yet, and we had people with Christmas lights in full display. And then I started noticing that, and so I was looking around and I realized that like a significant percentage of people had Christmas lights up at the end of October, early November, and it was, it was just sort of uh, strange, to be honest. We're, we're one of those families in my house, my wife is a staunch after Thanksgiving person, you know, everybody kind of lands somewhere and when it's appropriate to get ready and she's a staunch, let's get through Thanksgiving and then the next day, that uh, Black Friday is Black Friday only for me and then it's, I don't like decorating it so it's just a, a cloud over the day because then we have to decorate. This year, I don't know what day it was, like November 1st or November 3rd or whatever day it was, uh, she's like, I think it's time, let's go. And, and I, I came home from work one day and the house was just, it was just Christmas everywhere. And I started wondering, why is it that we do this? I asked this question about kind of everything. But I think collectively as a society, we decided that we needed to add some cheer to the year. That maybe 2020 was sort of torture, and maybe if we could just kind of sneak Christmas in early, then we could have New Year's, and it could be 2021, and we could leave the whole sordid mess behind. I, remember when you used to go to restaurants? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up. That's, that's a different trigger warning. Remember when restaurants were a thing, and you got to go out to eat? And you go to the restaurant and you order your food and as you get your, the waiter, the waitress, they bring your dinner and they set it in front of you, they bring your lunch, they set it in front of you. And then there's those times where they not only just give you your food and you haven't even taken a bite yet, you know, there is the problem where they come back through and they go, how is everything? And you're about to take your first bite and you're like, I don't know, great, fine, whatever. But this is the one where they drop your food down and then they take out the check too. And they slide it under your plate as if you're not going to see it. Like, oh, no rush though, but here's your bill. 
when we all understand what they're trying to tell us is there is a rush and you can now pay immediately. And if you'd like to just dump the plate of food into your purse and leave, I'd be okay with that. That's what they're inviting us to do. This, I think the Christmas lights in October thing was our societal intent to slip the check to 2020 and be like, no rush though, but maybe get it moving because we'd like to move on to the next table. Seasonally, there is something about light and darkness, and Isaiah is writing to a people in darkness, to a conquered people. The Assyrians have overrun both the northern and southern kingdoms, and God's people have been humiliated, and they are now constantly threatened, and there is a storm with even more on the horizon. So as Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, Scripture says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people rejoice before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as men rejoice in dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian, you have shattered the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For every trampling boot of battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In his reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's hopeful. In a season of great darkness, that's that's hopeful. That these conquered people, these plundered people, these, these down and out people have been told, no, there is a light on the horizon. I think it's appropriate for us, and we've often heard part of that around the Christmas season, this wonderful counselor, that gets brought up in Christmas, but the other part was unfamiliar to me in a lot of ways, and that was good because this has been an unfamiliar year. Verse 2 references the shadow of death, for those living in the shadow of death. I think more than ever, this is new for us, but more than ever, we've been living in the shadow of death this year. We are a modern Western people, and we are further from death than any culture in history. Think about it. Until very recently, people usually died in the home. People in this room may remember having a grandparent in their home with them in their final days. Some of you have walked through that, have been close to death, know what that is about. But over the years, death has been removed from our daily life. Death is removed from our perspective, and death has sort of been professionalized in a whole different way. We have hospitals that do that now. There's hospice care, palliative care, end-of-life care. End-of-life care, palliative care didn't exist until the 70s. Cleveland Clinic, which is one of the leading uh, areas of this in the world, established their palliative care and end-of-life care department in 1987. And so in thousands of years of human history, we have only spent the last 30 or so with any sort of professionalized place to get death out of our purview. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame there. It's unpleasant. But what we've done in getting death professionalized and away from us is we've kind of lost touch with it. We've been distanced from reality a little bit. We no longer have to deal with the fact that death is on the doorstep. And I want to be gentle here because some of us have losses that still might feel like open wounds, but there are sounds and smells 
There are unforgettable bits of life when you walk through watching someone pass into eternity. Things that soak in real deep that you can't shake. And the further we push that experience away, the more we blind ourselves and convince ourselves that death is something that happens to other people. As a pastor, this is a difficult privilege of mine. It's absolutely a privilege, but it's a difficult privilege to walk through these moments with people. To share in these moments, to hold the hand of a loved one as they breathe their last, to, to be in the room as the time is called. These are difficult things, and they're things that most of us, if we try hard enough, can avoid experiencing. Been at a lot of those bedsides, but a lot of funerals over the year. When we served in Africa, my wife and I would sometimes do three or four funerals a week. As AIDS was ravaging the country. I'd have two in a day, three in a day. Many more as I moved into ministry here in the United States. The first two funerals I did were for babies. Six-month-old and then a six-hour-old. You think it changed the way that I parent, the way I look at my children, the way I hold my children to have the experience of holding someone else's child in one of their six hours of life. Wept at my own sister's bedside in 2013, working through those last moments and seeing when her chest stopped breathing. It's unpleasant. It's traumatic. And it makes sense that we want to remove these moments from our lives, but we have lost something. We have lost an awareness of the shadow of death in our lives. It's something that happens to other people. Until it becomes close to us again, until we're in the shadow of death, and then it changes everything. Then our perspective starts to shift. Then we start to understand what it's all about. It changes everything. Albert Camus, a French existentialist philosopher, wrote a lot about this. He wrote a lot about absurdity and meaninglessness. It's kind of his, ironically, the meaning of his work was meaninglessness, so maybe he was onto something. But one way to read his writings was to see how death makes everything absurd. One of the main points he would make is death makes everything absurd. Death makes everything meaningless. Like Sisyphus, that we, we live rolling the rock up the hill only to have it roll back down and we do it again. Because if we're all going to die anyway, what was the point of all the toil before that? If we're all just going to end and that was it, what was the point? So he says that death creates meaninglessness in everything that precedes it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Warm and fuzzy, yep. I have a point. In interviews, uh, job interviews, I will ask people, um, what their perfect day is. It's my favorite interview question because it's the one that no one sees coming until now. And it's the one that, um, that kind of allows us to see the person because everybody has professional answers for something. I work too hard. That's my greatest weakness. You know, we all, that's always there. But what's the actual thing? I want to know the person. So tell me about your perfect day. And I'll always say, no geographic limitations, no financial limitations. What is your perfect day? Build it for me. Build your perfect day. You can do this right now. Build your perfect day. What would you do? When would you wake up? What would be for breakfast? Would you go on a hike? Would you go have lunch with your sister? Would you, would you go on a run? I really love to run. Would you go have coffee and read a book at your favorite coffee shop? 
What would you do on your perfect day? And we get all kinds of answers. I would go fishing. I'd go on a jog. I would do this. I would do that. It's super interesting to think about it because your perfect day changes a whole lot if you knew that it was your last day. And so that's what the point that, that this philosopher is giving us is that if it's your perfect day, you would say one thing. But if I told you it's your last day, all of a sudden, all the things that make up your perfect day become meaningless. I'm not going to go fishing for three hours. If it's my last day on earth, I'm going to do things that actually matter. I'm not going to wake up late. I'm going to wake up early so I have more time with the people I love. If you knew it was your last day, it would render all the things you thought mattered to you kind of meaningless. The shadow of death changes things. The specter of the end changes the way we live the now. It casts a pall over life, that term pallbearers. It's a shroud. It's the people that carry the, the shroud. And so for everyone in subtle ways, 2020 has reintroduced us to the valley of the shadow of death. It has reintroduced us to the, the just mere possibility that maybe death isn't just for other people. And so whether it's 1.5 million people that have died or 300,000 in America that have died, and whether you want to fight on numbers or care about masks or any of that stuff, it doesn't matter. What happened this year is we were reintroduced to the possibility that you could die. And in March, whether you want to deny it or not, in March, a lot of us were looking around going, I don't know what this is and what this means, and nobody kind of knows what this is going to do, but we got to be careful because this could be me next. That shadow showed up. And it reintroduced something important to us. And that shadow, while it's affected mental health in negative ways, while, while it's, it's dramatically changed some relationships in, in, in real ways, what we do find is a lot of people are quietly looking for meaning again because the shadow of death meant people looked around and said, why am I doing the things I'm doing? They say crisis accelerates change. That's certainly true this year. People said, is that really what I want my life to be about? Do I really want to be spending hours doing that thing? What we were given this year was the gift of perspective, a chance to wake up to what's real and important. The shadow of death only steals meaning from life if there's no light on the horizon. And that's the beauty of, of those who follow Christ and, and the way we look at the shadow of death differently than the rest of the world. In the shadow of death, if you have no Jesus on the horizon, then absolutely everything is rendered meaningless and you can live in that bleak philosophical world and good luck. But if you have the hope of something on the horizon, if there's something that comes after death, that there's life still to be had, then it changes the way we see the whole thing. So come back to Isaiah with me and notice in verse 1, he says, there's no more gloom for those in distress. The pall has been lifted. The shroud has been lifted. And he lists these conquered territories, Naphtali, these, these conquered territories with the implication that they will again live free, that there's hope for them on the horizon. And then in verse 2, we'll put it back on the screen. In verse 2, he says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. We've heard that before. That might even be in that Peanuts Christmas special. I don't know. That's a pretty familiar one. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Oh, those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For those of us with a certain end, there's a new end in sight. What is he saying? He said, it's like the first hint of dawn on the horizon. After a long night, the light shows up. And with that light, there becomes a lightness of being, just a sparkle of hope where there wasn't before. One of my favorite books I read this year was uh, about people who get lost in wild places, like people who go off into massive national parks and just disappear. And how they disappear, and that got me on this whole rabbit trail, and I, this is sort of what I do. And so then I'm reading a book about uh, man tracking is actually like a skill. And so there's this whole kind of guide for the art of man tracking. And then there's another book that's it's a compendium, and that's lost people behavior. So what do lost people out in the woods do? 
If you don't think there's some spiritual things happening in man tracking and lost people behavior, it was kind of fun. But what happens is people who get lost, they go for the highest point because naturally you want to be able to see stuff to see if you can find your way out. But it's the wrong behavior because if you're lost, you actually want to be at the lowest point because the people searching for you, they're going to go to the highest point so they can see the most. And so what happens is the lost people end up getting above. It's a whole problem. But one thing that was abundantly clear as you went through it is they, they say the, the hardest thing for the lost person to endure is the night because you know there's no one looking for you. You know there's no hope of being found and you're enshrouded in darkness. You can't see a thing. The hardest part of being someone who's tracking them is night because you can't find them. You can't see them. And you knew even if you walked right by them, you might miss them. And so you have to stop so that you can't be looking at night. You can't track at night. You can't be found at night. Night is this terrible bleakness when you're lost. But when the dawn strikes, the search team is back out and hope re-arises that maybe I'll be found. And that's what this passage is kind of pointing to, is this idea that even in the darkest of night, that there's a hope on the horizon, that there's a light coming. It's Messiah that Isaiah points to. That he'll offer hope beyond occupation, beyond exile, beyond sin, beyond death. And so for the people, God's people he's speaking to in the moment, that matters. And for us who he's speaking to by extension, that matters. For them physically, there's hope on the horizon. For us spiritually, there's hope on the horizon. That he's going to take the darkness of death and eternal light will come. You only recognize how much you need the light once you're in the dark. Power goes out, you only realize how much you rely on the power once the power goes out. We have a friend who survived a massive heart attack this year. We have a couple friends that survived massive heart attacks this year, but one in particular I've been tracking with him pretty closely. He says he wakes up every day in tears. It's been months. Wakes up every day in tears, grateful. Every single day wakes up grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for another day to go and be with the people I love. Thank you for another moment to see the sunrise. Thank you for another day to enjoy my spouse. Thank you for another day. What he would tell us is he's, he was living, not wrongly at all before, he was just living. He had plans for this year, all kinds of ideas, trips. And a massive heart attack, the widow maker. And he sneaks through the gauntlet and comes out on the other side and he says, it's changed so much because I can see what's really important. And so I wake up every morning in tears, overwhelmed by gratitude that I get to do this again. And I wouldn't have done that had I not been through the valley of the shadow of death. And he goes, and the good news is I didn't go through that alone. I wasn't alone in that. And that's hopeful for me. And yet... How exciting to live life in the light now that I know what it feels like to be in those dark moments not knowing if I had another moment ahead of me. Darkness reminded him how precious life really was. And the light reminded him that there was nothing to fear except maybe wasting the precious days of life on things that don't really matter that much. So this year more than ever, we should long for light. We should fight for a perspective and, and hold up what's really true. Maybe that's why Christmas lights went up early this year. Because something in us knew that in a season of great darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, what the world really needs is light. What the world really needs is the hope on the horizon. What the world really needs in October, November of 2020 is to know that 2021 is just around the corner. Just hang on. You may be scared and lost and alone and waiting for that rescue to come. You just hang on. 
And so, yeah, Christmas lights went up early because Christmas cheer. And, yeah, they went up because it's a festive response. But I think they went up because there's something in us that knows, that knows that what we need most in the darkness of day is the light. When darkness shrouds the land, we begin to anticipate. And you and I who follow a risen Jesus, you and I who follow the Savior, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, you and I who follow Jesus, we string up lights in a whole different way. We string up lights and they are promises. We illuminate the depths with piercing beauty. Light reminds us that there's meaning here, that all the French philosophers in the world can't convince us otherwise. There's hope beyond pain. There's life beyond death. As George Herbert, the 16th century English poet said, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. That's the difference. That for those outside of Christ, death is the executioner. It is the end. It is the final. And it is over for those who live in gospel light, for those in whom they are found in Jesus. It just becomes gardening. You become a seed planted in soil. It, for any seed to germinate, it first has to die. It can't be attached to the tree. It dies, then it's planted, and then it breathes new life. It's like the song Susie's saying, that there's this seed that gets planted, and from that life springs that you and I, because of who we are in the gospel light, we don't worry about that. We don't live in the absolute fear of that shadow. We know that there is something greater coming, that there is eternal life awaiting, that the resurrection of Jesus is the promise that burial is not a final goodbye, but the planting of the seeds of glory. The grave is not the terminal where the train comes to its final stop, but the station on the way to eternity. And this year, we were reintroduced to the shadow. So perhaps maybe we could again appreciate the light that comes in Christ alone. I think a lot of us were shaken awake this year. And the things you didn't get to do anymore, some of those things we'll never do again because we realize, I don't think I actually cared about that stuff anyway. We know people who have left jobs and, and changed whole parts of their life going, I don't know why I was doing it anyway, but then I couldn't do it, and now why would I? We've been reintroduced to fear in small ways so that fear could be washed away. Been reintroduced to darkness so that light could come. It's why angels in the Christmas story are always saying, fear not, fear not, fear not. Christmas means that the shadow of death, though we walk through it, is no longer a place to fear. That the unknown on the other side of today is no longer a place to fear. That the uncertainty that you feel is no longer a place to fear. Because no matter where you are in the depth of the darkness, there is always a light on the horizon. We have a good shepherd who cares for us. We have a perfect savior who is covering us. Christmas means that darkness is no more. Christmas eliminates the specter of darkness and offers that there is always a dawn to be had. And so it is a celebration. We said last week, Christmas is the celebration. It's the beginning of it is finished. It's the beginning of Jesus' work being done. It is the beginning of it is finished, so we don't have to strive anymore. Christmas is a celebration of the death of death in the death of Christ and the beauty of life in his resurrection. And in Christmas, we get to celebrate those things. And yes, they are off in the future, but that is what is providing the light that penetrates backwards. So we'll say again what we said at the beginning in a world of shadows and darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And he reminds us, he alone reminds us that we have nothing to fear. Because those walking with him have seen a great light. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we are uh, strangely thankful for a year like this year. I don't know that any of us would have asked for it, but Lord, you have been uh, faithful to prune. You have been faithful to shake us. You've been faithful to show us what really matters, what important things really are. Lord, my prayer is we would not take the gift of this year for granted. We wouldn't hurry past it, but we would take a long look. God, as you have reintroduced us to a valley that we don't much like to be in, Lord, would you do that work in us, changing our hearts, of bringing us into a new, more important life to live, and then always keeping that dawn on the horizon. Father, for those in the room who are tired and ready for dawn to come, I pray that you would bring it early. Father, it is your presence, it is your God with us, Emmanuel presence in this season that reminds us that though we walk through that valley at times, we never do it alone. So Father, as we lift our voices, pray that you would receive it as our deepest praise and our promise to be with you as that dawn comes. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.